Winter comes for us all. Oh, how nature acquaints us with the nature of patience, like a seed in the snow. I've been buried to grow, for your promises, Lord, from seed to sequoia. And I, though the winter is long and the winter, the harvest is bright. Though my way prolongs even later, your promise for me, like a seed, I believe in my seed. Christmas. Welcome to Orchard Hill Church. We're so glad you're here with us. Would you stand and sing with us?
joyful all the nations rise join the triumph of the skies with angelic hosts proclaim christ is born in bethlehem hark the herald angels sing glory to the
Yes, Merry Christmas and welcome. I got to say, you guys look fantastic. And you did it. You made it. You guys got here on time and you're here. Some of you maybe are even here for the 5 o'clock reserving seats already. That's okay. That's all right. Hey, um, we are so glad that you're here. We know some of you maybe got bribed by a grandmother or a mom or something, and you've got something waiting for you at home. Uh, we just want to make sure that everyone who is here feels welcome. And so before you take your seat, could you please help us do that? Turn to somebody around you, say Merry Christmas, and we're glad that you're here. Merry Christmas. Hey, thank you so much for doing that. I'm going to invite our ushers forward both here as well as in the sanctuary down the commons area to receive our Christmas uh, offering. This is a great time for us to be kind of like the Magi or the wise men who brought gifts as a way uh, to honor the newborn baby Jesus, a gift from God who would become our Savior and our King. And uh, if you're a guest or visitor, don't feel obligated to uh, give at this time. We really want this service uh, to be a gift to you. And again, we just want to say we are so glad that you're here. Um, we're glad that you came. Maybe you came with family or maybe you just uh, saw an ad or a social media post or something and you're here. We're just really glad that you're here to celebrate with us. In fact, we would love it if you uh, don't have a regular place to worship and you're in town regularly on Sundays. Uh, we worship every Sunday here in this room at 915 and 1045 as well as down in the sanctuary. And by the way, I want to say hi to all the folks in the sanctuary and the commons and those who are watching online. Uh, thanks for being here to celebrate uh, Christmas with us. A little later in the service, we are going to participate in one of our favorite traditions here at Orchard Church, the lighting of the candles. And since we don't do this very often, uh, we want to go over the instructions very carefully. So I'm asking Orchard's very own supermodel, Doug Tenson, to come up and uh, demonstrate while he's making his way. He's a little slow these days. Um, kids, I don't know if you know this, but... <laughs> But uh, Santa got a brand new sleigh, and it's got all kinds of new technology, and it's faster than it's ever been, and it's got better GPS and all this stuff. And so, um, by the way, you'd think you'd, this would cost a lot. Anybody know what this cost? Anybody read about this? What cost Santa? Absolutely nothing. It was on the house. Oh. <laughs> uh, and since he's so fast, he's got time for extra snacks this year. And so along with the cookies and milk, do you know what he's asking maybe for? Some crisp Pringles. Crisp Pringles? Yeah. <laughs> they get better every year, don't they? Uh, okay. On to the important stuff, how we light these uh, Christmas candles. So uh, we're going to come down an aisle, and we're going to pass... Uh, it's going to come at you from your right, okay? And there'll be a lit flame, and that flame will stay vertical at all times. Then you take the unlit candle, and you put that wick into the uh, flame of the lit candle. You turn it upright, and then keeping it vertical, you turn to your neighbor and continue to pass it down the road just like that. That way nobody sets anything on fire. And then one more very important instruction when we go to extinguish these, we don't want you blowing wax all over the person in front of you in their nice Christmas outfit. So, would you demonstrate for us, Mr. Tenson? Drum roll, maybe? No? Okay. Hey! Fantastic. Isn't that beautiful? Let's give Mr. Tenson a nice round of applause. Let you blow out my candle. He's going to be back in just a minute to share the Christmas story with us. Before he uh, comes to do that, would you please say a word of prayer with me? Father, we just pause for a second here to just take a couple deep breaths. Uh, we recognize, as Alice is going to teach us tonight, that we live in a weary world. And that uh, many of us maybe have, have rushed our way in here and we're weary. And maybe our brains are still racing and our bodies are still not really fully in the room. We just pause now to get ourselves in the room to say thank you, to say thank you for giving us a reason to celebrate and rejoice, and thank you for the gift of Christmas, thank you for the gift of your son Jesus, or who shows us what you're like, who is the perfect representation of you, God, and we get a picture 
of how much you love us, how much you care for us, and how powerful you are, how you want to bring life and light into our world. I would ask, Lord, that you would open our hearts and our minds and our eyes to see again with a new sense of wonder and awe what this season is really about. It's in your name we pray. Amen. I invite you to listen now to the story of the birth of Jesus as told by Luke in his gospel. So Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them, and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all of these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. The stars are brightly shining, it is the night of the dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining, till he appeared and the soul felt its worth a thrill of hope the weary world rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn
of hope. A weary world rejoices. Did you hear that line that Andrew so beautifully sang? Anyone here weary? Need a little rest, a little rejoicing, maybe a little eggnog? When I was little, I loved me some Christmas, but I was also weird. Okay, that's funny. You can laugh at church. I couldn't regulate my emotions as a child. I still can't regulate my emotions, but I pretend I can. Uh, so I had a hard time sleeping on Christmas Eve. I was just too excited about opening gifts the next morning. I had Christmas Eve insomnia. I was just a wound up little wreck of a kid. So one Christmas Eve, I came up with this incredible plan in my own head. I kept throwing myself on the ground and shutting my eyes and lying real still. 
all, all around the house. And my parents would come across me, and they would say to me, um, what are you doing? And I would say, I'm testing to see if I'm tired yet. And I would lay there for about five seconds, and then I would hop up, and I would say, nope, not tired yet. And I did this all day, people. All day. Drove my folks crazy. And I know now, as a parent of almost 30 years, how exhausted my parents must have been. Can you relate? The weariness starts young these days. Five-year-olds feel pressure to read before they get to kindergarten. Second graders feel if they don't make the travel soccer team, their hopes of playing high school soccer are over. Teenagers forced to start school in the morning at the exact time their bodies are telling them they should be in bed. No wonder the average age for starting coffee drinking is 14. All of us now drinking coffee, aren't we? You just raise your cup up, because I can see you out there. We're fighting a losing battle, though. 43% of us say we don't get enough sleep each night to think clearly or make informed decisions or be productive in any way at work the next day. 43% of us. You know who you are, okay? Your coworkers know who you are. Almost 40% of us say one time last year at least we fell asleep unintentionally during the day. Some of us fall asleep at 3 o'clock p.m. Christmas Eve services. I can see your eyeballs. <laughs> Talking about work, our work makes us so weary. We get interrupted every 11 minutes on average, and then it takes us 25 minutes to get back to the work we were originally interrupted from. You do the math, right? You can see why we all feel behind all the time. 269 billion emails sent daily across the globe. Many of you think half of those are currently sitting in your inbox right now to be dealt with after the holiday. Did you know that extreme fitness is the new midlife crisis? Right? It used to be you could turn 50 and get a red car and a bad perm. Now we have to do CrossFit. You know who you are too, don't you? Even our denial strategies are exhausting. And what about the exhausting pursuit of more and better, especially around the home, home improvement products, projects? Whatever happened to just living in our own house? Whatever happened to just sitting on our own sofa? Why are we all at Menards? <laughs> Seriously, I walk in there and I'm just exhausted. The minute I walk in, I walk in, I walk right back out, go home, take a nap. We have forgotten that life is not an emergency. We have forgotten that life is not an emergency. And there are deeper sources of weariness, broken relationships, loneliness, heightened by the holiday season, disappointment can just be exhausting. Disappointment in other people, or in ourselves, or in the way our life is turning out. There's the weariness of aging, of losing loved ones, of being sick or in pain all the time. There's the exhaustion of living with a mental illness. There's the soul weariness of years or even decades of unanswered prayer. And for some of us, there's just the exhaustion of wanting to believe in God, wanting to believe there's something more. But all we feel is emptiness. We are a weary people. And so were God's people in the first century. 400 years of silence from God. And they're holding their breath. They're holding out hope beyond hope that someone or something might rescue them from what the prophet Zechariah called the darkness of the shadow of death. And then the baby Jesus was born. The one who would grow up and say, come to me all you who are weary and tired and burdened and exhausted and I will give you rest. And every time I hear those words of Jesus, I think to myself, please don't let those just be empty religious words. 
How does Jesus' birth cause the weary world to rejoice? How does Jesus' birth cause our own weary souls to rejoice? Well, the gospel writer John of the four gospels in the New Testament, biographies of Jesus' life, the gospel writer John tells about the story of the birth of Jesus, but from a much more philosophical standpoint than the story that Doug just read for us. And in John's opening salvo in his gospel, his words contain clues for us about how Jesus' birth can address our weariness. Look at what the gospel writer John wrote, talking about Jesus. He says, in the beginning was the word, the very voice, the very action of God, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. Remember that. We're going to come back to that line. And in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind, and the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. And the word became flesh. This is what we celebrate today. And the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. How does Jesus' birth cause the weary world to rejoice? Right away, John starts to tell us when he writes, the word was with God and the word was God and the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. God, in Jesus, stooped. God, in Jesus' birth, stooped. And because Jesus stooped, we can stop. To stoop has this imagery of someone bigger or higher or more important bending down to the level of someone smaller or lower. It's a little bit like this picture where this little boy who didn't know any better decided he wanted to touch Prince Harry's beard and his red hair. And so he approached him and royalty stooped. It's beautiful, isn't it? There's something about that that touches our hearts. But a God who would stoop to the level of mankind, this was completely unheard of before Jesus. You see, God was viewed as angry and aloof and unapproachable and up there somewhere and always demanding some kind of appeasement, some kind of rituals from human beings to try to be good enough to earn the favor of God, to me is the very definition of exhaustion. But this is not the message of Jesus. Jesus, born in a manger, doesn't want our exhaustion. He doesn't want your exhaustion. The weary world rejoiced at the birth of Jesus because in Jesus we meet the God who stoops. The God who created all things, who formed the galaxies with his very word, the God who was at the center of all existence, this glorious God entered this world in the most humble way possible. He came to us as a baby. He became one of us. He made himself approachable. What kind of God is this? This is Jesus. This is Jesus, the one who wants to release us from the worn-out religion of effort, of striving, of believing somehow it's all up to us to climb to God. This is Jesus, the one who sets us free from effort, from frantic trying, from anxious, constant earning. No more, Jesus says, no more. There is nothing more you need to do. God stooped in the form of Jesus so we can stop all of our weary efforts at earning his favor. John also said this about Jesus. 
He said, in him, in Jesus, was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. And so another way that Jesus' birth addresses our weariness is this, that because Jesus lived, we too can live. What what the gospel writer John was trying to impart with all of this intense language about Jesus is that Jesus had within him the very essence of deep, true, real life. He, the very word of God, was the originator of life. Remember that section I said I would come back to where John said about Jesus, through him all things were made and without him nothing was made that has been made. John wanted us to know that Jesus was full of all of the energy that makes life possible. And so Jesus, the baby Jesus, wasn't just born only to grow up and die. Jesus was born to live. And he wants you and me to live too. And I mean to really live. But my friends, we're so distracted We're so overloaded. We're so noisy. We're never right here. We're either worrying about the future or regretting something we did in the past. All are missing our one and only life. The other day, I was walking into Covenant for an appointment, and I decided to text a friend while I was walking through the parking lot. And then while I was texting, I hit a curb, and down I went, flat down on my face. The kind of thing where you kind of look around to make sure, you know, if anybody saw you, they, they knew that you knew what was happening, that, that that was something you meant to do. Like, no worries. Just, uh, just wanting to do a push-up or something. I don't know. You know, a grown woman looking at her phone while walking through a parking lot. Who does this, you guys? Somebody who's missing out on her life, that's who. Or I find myself, I don't know if any of you do this, I spend an entire morning worrying about something that may or may not happen three months from now. All the while, completely missing out on the gift of a morning that is unfolding right in front of me. It's so exhausting to miss the one life that I've been given. I read this the other day. One life on this earth is all we get whether it is enough or not enough. And the obvious conclusion would seem to be at the very least, we are fools if we do not live it as fully and bravely and beautifully as we can. One life on this earth is all we get. And I too often am a fool because I sometimes fail to live it. Here's the truth. Life is hard. Life is hard. Jesus knew this. He knows it now. I mean, he died at age 33, the death of a common criminal on a cross. He knows how hard your life is. He sees you. But he wants us to really live in the mess of it all anyway. He said, Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it to the full. And I got to be honest with you, sometimes I read those words of Jesus and I think to myself, well, that's nice, Jesus. But isn't the full life reserved for people who are at the Sandals All-Inclusive Resort? I see them gallivanting in the sand. Looks like a pretty full life to me. How do I live a full life when my life just fell apart? How do I live a full life when my life is boring? Or I feel stuck? Or I'm lonely? Or I have doubts? Or I worry about things that are very real in my life? How do I live life to the full then? Well, there's, there's no easy answer to that question, right? Let's just be honest about that. But here's one thing that helps me. There is a poet I love, and her name is Mary Oliver, and she wrote this in one of her poems. She said, I don't know how to pray, but I do know how to pay attention. I don't know how to pray, but I do know how to pay attention. And sometimes when my life is really hard, 
and I don't know how to pray. I think about this poem, and then I think about the words that Jesus said when he said, consider the lilies of the field. Right? It's another way of saying, pay attention. Pay attention to the flowers, Alice. Pay attention to nature. Don't you see, Jesus said, that God takes care of those flowers so carefully and that he will take even better care of you? Why do you worry, Alice? Oh, you of little faith, consider the lilies of the field. And I slow down for a minute and I breathe and I look around me instead of looking at my phone And I simply try to pay attention to the good things that are right in front of me. A cup of coffee, a warm house, a sloppy kissing chocolate lab, a kind friend, a car that runs, food in the fridge, Monday night football. I really like Monday night football. I'm not just throwing that in, men. I really like it. And I realize when I look around and start to pay attention to the things that are in my life, I realize that noticing those things and saying thank you changes my outlook. It changes my day. It changes my mindset. It changes my life. I don't know how to pray, but I do know how to pay attention. The baby Jesus is life. And if I can start to pay attention, even when my life is really hard, I might find that I can have life too. And so can you. And you might find it just a little less exhausting. Last way that Jesus' birth addresses our weariness is that because Jesus is light, we can survive the darkness. Again, John writes in the very first chapter of his gospel these words about Jesus. He says, In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then later on in that same gospel, John records these words of Jesus. Jesus said, I am the light of the world, and whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I want you to notice with me for just a second, some of you may have heard this passage before, but I want you to notice what Jesus is really saying. He is saying, I am the light, and whoever follows me will have the light. I am the light, and if you follow me, you'll have the light. He's saying, whoever follows me will have me. My presence is what will be the light in your darkness. And the truth is, if we've lived it all, we know we will find ourselves in dark places. Many of us feel right now like we're in the dark. Well, we are in the dark, but you know what I mean. Jesus, the presence of the living Jesus, wants to be with us in that darkness. In those moments when we're bone tired. In those moments when our soul is so exhausted because we can't see what lies ahead. And we don't always get to pick how that light shows up. And we don't always know from where it's going to come. But very often, the light of Jesus in your darkness will happen through the presence of other people. When I was about 16, at the height of my swimming career, high school swimming career, I started to have panic attacks. They just came out of the blue. And I would start to swim in a competition and be so overcome by panic that I couldn't keep my head in the water. It was so terrifying to me. and It was completely out of my control. And it felt like a darkness had descended on me every time I got into the swimming pool and I couldn't make my way out of it. And so some events, in the middle of a competition, I would dive in, swim halfway down the pool, and the panic was so thick, I had to just swim to the side and get out simply could not continue. It was completely embarrassing. And there were a lot of tears, as you can imagine, and a lot of efforts by my coaches to break the fear somehow, and nothing worked. And my parents, who knew me well, knew I needed courage from outside myself, and so they came up with a plan. 
My parents signed me up for the longest event I could swim, <laughs> the mile swim outside in a 50-meter pool. Uh, and that sounds cruel, doesn't it? But hold on. Wait for the rest of the story. The mile swim is a lot of time with your head in the water. I would be alone with the demons of my own mind for a long time. And so since my parents literally could not swim alongside me in the lane, which would be super awkward, they told me that what they were going to do was stand on either side of the pool. And as I swam, they would walk up and down along the length of the pool with me, following me along lap after lap after lap. So when I breathed to my left, I would see my dad. And when I breathed to my right, I would see my mom. They told me that they would be with me in my darkness. And I trusted them. Their presence would be my light. So I got up on those starting blocks, just terrified. That familiar grip of anxiety was in my throat. And I looked over and made sure my parents were in position on each side of that pool. The starting gun went off, and I dove in, and I felt that same wave of anxiety. And so I raised my head up, and I swam for a bit with my head out of the pool. Not very efficient. You're not going to win a race this way. I immediately looked for my dad. And there he was, thumbs up, face full of assurance, and a little bit of this, you better, you better keep going, sugar, as only a dad can do, right? <laughs> so I put my head back in, I swam a few strokes, and I made it through the first lap without getting out, huge victory. But after I made the first turn, up popped my head again, breathing shallow, wave after wave of panic, and I turned to the right, and I saw my mom, the smile of assurance that only a mom can give her daughter. And it kept going. They were with me. They were with me. And so lap after lap, I swam, looking to my mom, looking to my dad with every breath. And after about a half a mile, I felt myself settle into my old, strong, smooth stroke. I could feel my anxiety just fading away and my own courage showing back up. And I knew I could do this again. I finished the race. My parents' presence with me in my moment of darkness gave me my courage back. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And the truth is, in this life, there will be darkness for every single one of us. But Jesus, I will be with you promise is what can give us the strength to endure and to survive and maybe even to thrive. He promises to be there, but we have to look for him. Just like I had to look for my parents with every breath I took, we have to look for Jesus and he will be with us in the darkness. I promise you he will. Our deepest prayer for you this Christmas, for all of you, wherever you are in your life, in your faith, in your experience with church or with Jesus, our deepest prayer is that you would know that because Jesus stooped, we can stop. He doesn't want your exhaustion. Our deepest prayer is that you would know that because Jesus lived, we can actually really live our lives. And that because Jesus is light, we can survive the darkness. That is our deepest prayer for every single one of you this Christmas Eve. Amen. So I want to invite you... Um, the band's going to come out. I invite you to listen, just listen to this next song. If you want to close your eyes, that's fine. Whatever you have to do to listen to this next song as pure invitation from the God who loves you, from the God who meets you in Jesus, from the God who wants to be the light in your life that will guide you home. We pray that this time would just be 
pure gift from us to you. So I don't know what your weariness is this Christmas Eve. Maybe it's just the, the sheer joy of a child anticipating what's ahead, or maybe it's something deeper, I don't know. But I do know this, Jesus is with us, and Jesus is for us, and Jesus wants to carry some of our weariness. And so I invite you as we begin this tradition of lighting the candles, as you light your own candle, and then as you watch everybody else's candles be lit, and you watch the light pushing back the darkness, may you rejoice a little. May you feel the thrill of hope. 
May you get a sense that your weariness might just be lifted a little bit because of the birth of Jesus. And may you think about this light, this light that wants to guide you home. carefully stand for this last song.
joy to the world the Lord is come let earth receive her King let every heart prepare him room and heaven and nature sing and heaven and nature sing and heaven and heaven and nature sing light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it don't forget that and hey I don't need to tell you but this is kind of a stressful time of year okay the other day I bought the wrong ground beef for the meatballs broke my food processor last year I almost sliced my finger off and my husband on Saturday went to Best Buy four times because he couldn't find the right cable to hook his 1974 stereo up to the new Apple TV fourth time he just bought a new stereo so all is right with the world. But my point is, be kind to each other. Show grace to each other. You can't just receive the light in your own darkness. It's your job to give it to each other, okay? Especially to your moms. Moms are working so hard. And grandmas, okay, so just be nice to us, okay? Have a great Christmas. Always remember this, that God stoops so you can stop, that Jesus lives so you can truly live. 
and that Jesus is the light so you can survive the darkness. Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas. And now, with great carefulness, please save your neighbor from wax and blow out your candle. Merry Christmas, everyone. Have a great holiday.